0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lindsay Hansen and today is August 14th. Today, we're going to continue in this week's Come Follow Me block, and we're going to jump right into Romans chapter 8. I know we only covered one part of Romans chapter 7. I know we didn't get to the Joseph Smith translation of Romans chapter 7, which is incredible in and of itself, But Romans chapter eight really is just so packed full. And so I think we're going to spend quite a bit of time in Romans chapter eight. And I wanted to jump into it today. If you're doing your own scripture study of Romans, how are you doing with it? It might be a little bit discouraging at times. I'm not going to lie. Romans is a little bit difficult at times to read. Paul writes in a way in the book of Romans that can be a little tricky at times. So continue, keep going on, keep forging through, treat it like Isaiah. If you don't quite understand it, just say, that's okay. And just keep going. Use the footnotes as much as you can, but forge ahead because Romans is truly just an incredible masterpiece. Now, as we continue on in Romans chapter eight, something that I think is really important that we remember is that. When Paul was writing, he was not breaking this up into chapter and verse. He was just writing a letter. The breaking up into chapters and verses came later. It wasn't broken into chapter and verse until the 1500s when someone named Robert Estienne divided it. He would later come to be known as Stephanus, but that happened probably around 1555. But when Paul wrote, he was just writing a letter. Now, You might ask, why is that important to understand? Why is that important to remember? But let's keep in mind what Paul is talking about in chapter seven, as we jump into chapter eight. In chapter seven, he is talking about the natural man. He's talking about the mistakes that we just kind of naturally make. He's talking about going against what we know is right, doing the things that we hate. Any mom who says her prayers at night and vows to be more patient the next day, and then the next day still loses her temper, knows what he's talking about when he says, why do I do that, which I hate? He is talking about being in this state of sinfulness. And then look where he goes immediately after Romans chapter 7. Listen to what he says. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So, even after all of that, even after him saying, Well, this is how the natural man is, this is what we're like, this is what we do, we're continually doing the things that we hate and not doing the things that we know we should be doing, yet there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Why is that then? If we see ourselves for who we are, if we are making mistakes, if we are natural men and women, why then is there no condemnation when we walk in the spirit and in remembrance of Christ? It's because of the grace that Paul is trying to teach us about. It's because of grace that we get to keep trying over and over again. Now, what I love about this scripture coming right off the hills of chapter seven is that it teaches us the beautiful balance between justice and mercy. It's interesting. Sometimes we think of the atonement of Jesus Christ, or we think of grace as a big giant eraser, right? We repent, we believe in Christ, and just our sins are erased. It's like magic. And that wasn't the case. Justice demanded that our sins be paid for. However, the atonement of Jesus Christ, He didn't just erase our sins, He actually took them upon Himself. And because of that, that demand for justice, that demand for perfection, could be filled because of the law of mercy. Our Father in heaven, through His Son Jesus Christ, offers us that mercy, so that the law of justice can be filled. That scale can balance out perfectly as we accept Christ's atonement. And use it. It doesn't balance out the scale because God says, oh, it's okay that they sinned. It's okay that they did this. Those things will be fine. I'll just turn a blind eye. The scales are balanced because Christ took it upon himself. And the beautiful thing that this verse teaches us is that because Christ took it upon himself, even though the law of justice says that we need to be perfect, that we need to not sin, right? the law of mercy provides us with endless opportunities to accomplish that. And trust me, that law of perfection, that being perfect isn't going to happen in this life. But because of mercy, because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, because of grace, we are offered chance after chance after chance to try to get it right. In his book, The Continuous Atonement, Brad Wilcox talks about this, and he talks about the example of a priest who's blessing the sacrament. And bless their hearts, we have all been in a sacrament meeting where a priest is just struggling to get it right. And it seems like the more he tries, the more in his head he gets, and he makes more mistakes. Does the bishop just say, oh, it's okay, you tried really hard, you did your best, so forget about it, we don't need the prayer to be right, just continue on and pass the sacrament? Absolutely not. The standard, the law, is clear. That prayer needs to be read verbatim. It needs to be correct. That's justice, right? But mercy tells us that that priest has as many opportunities as he wants to get it right. Brother Wilcox says it this way, Although the sacramental prayers had to be perfect and that expectation could not be lowered, the priest was given a second chance and a third as many times as it took. There was no trap door that opened up once he had gone too far. The bishop simply nodded, and the youth priesthood holder started over until he finally got the prayer right. No matter how many mistakes were made and corrected along the way, the final outcome was counted as perfect and acceptable. What's beautiful about this plan, this plan of justice and mercy, what's beautiful about this scripture that teaches us that even though we continue to make mistakes, we're not condemned, is that it shows us that our father in heaven sent us to this earth with the expectation that we would make mistakes. He sent us to this earth, having prepared a plan beforehand, knowing that we would make mistakes, knowing that we would sin, knowing that we would fall to temptation. And he didn't send us here to earth knowing that saying, oh gosh, darn kids aren't going to get back to me. He said, man, they're going to make mistakes. So, I'm going to find a way for them to climb out of those mistakes. I'm going to prepare a way so that as many times as they fall, they can still find a way back to me. That is the beauty of the atonement of Jesus Christ. That is the beauty of His grace and His mercy. We are not condemned because of our mistakes, we are not condemned because of our imperfections. But as long as we continue our faith in Jesus Christ, As long as we continue to walk in the spirit, as long as we continue to try, he is there ready to continue to forgive, to love, to lift us up and to pull us out of the holes that we sometimes find ourselves in. And we see that so beautifully in the next verse when it says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death, the law of mercy has freed me from the law of justice. Absolutely beautiful doctrine. Brother Tatar Callister, who was a former Sunday School General President, said, On occasion I have met with good saints who have had trouble forgiving themselves, who have innocently but incorrectly placed limits on the Savior's redemptive powers. Unwittingly, they have converted an infinite atonement into a finite one that somehow falls short of their particular sin, or weakness, but it is an infinite atonement because it encompasses and circumscribes every sin and weakness, as well as every abuse or pain caused by others. My friends, it is my testimony that Jesus Christ lives. And it's so important to understand that he lives because the fact that he lives is like the cherry on the top of the atonement. It is evidence that the atonement took place. It is evidence of his great love for you and me, a love that allowed him to take everything upon himself so that you and I could have 70 times 7 opportunities to repent, to try again, to do better and be better tomorrow. Because he lives, because he loves us, as long as we keep trying, we are under no condemnation but can be filled with his love.